Good morning again, everyone. This morning we're continuing our renewed vision for 2020 series by seeking the Lord for a renewed vision for the Word of God. Now, when I speak of the Word of God, I'm referring to the scriptures of the Old and New Testament and what is commonly known as the Bible. And the Word of God teaches us what to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of us. And it's also the only rule to direct us in how we may glorify and enjoy God. All Scripture is inspired by God. All Scripture is breathed by God. It's profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, for the training in righteousness, so that God's people may be equipped for every good work. The Word of God is living. It's active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit that slays the evil one in our lives. The Word of God goes forth from the mouth of God and does not return void without accomplishing all that the Lord desires. Amen? Amen. Truly, the Word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path as we journey through this life. My hope this morning is that the Lord would give us a renewed vision for the Word of God. I know that we value the Word of God in this church. We teach the Word of God in this church. But I also know that our ears can become deaf, our eyes can become blind, and our hearts can become hard towards the Word of God. And it's my desire this morning that the Lord would work in our hearts, that He'd work in our hearts like He did in in the hearts of the two men on the road of Emmaus, whose hearts burned within them as the Scriptures were explained to them. I pray that the Lord would revive in us the same spirit that dwelt with the churches in Berea who received the word with great eagerness to examine the scriptures daily. I hope, my hope is that the word of God would pierce our hearts and cause us to believe in the Lord's promises found in his word. And one of the greatest passages of Scripture that clearly states what the Lord's promises to do in us through His Word is found in Psalms chapter 19, verses 7 through 14. If you're familiar with Psalms 19, the first half of the psalm deals with God revealing Himself through creation. And then the second half of the psalm, what we're going to be looking at today, is God revealing Himself through his word. So hear now the word of God, Psalms chapter 19, verses 7 through 14. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean. Enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. 
They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of my hidden faults. Also keep your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and I shall be acquitted with great transgressions. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That finishes the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Now, when we look at this text, I want you to understand that the Lord is describing his word to us through the psalmist in six different ways. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. So here we see that the psalmist is inspired to write a variety of expressions, all of which to use to identify God's word. Law, testimony, statutes, commandment, fear, and judgment. And these expressions should be understood as poetic terms, all describing God's written word. Not describing just one portion of God's word, but describing the totality of God's word. And then notice that each expression is followed by a further description of God's word. The psalmist tells us that God's word is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. A parallel statement describing the word of God, what the word of God does within us, follows each one of these phrases. Notice the psalmist declares what the word of God does in us. The word of God restores our soul. It makes us wise. It causes our hearts to rejoice. It enlightens our eyes. It endures as a source of truth. And they're righteous altogether. These are the things, these are the things that we should expect the Word of God to do within us. We should expect the Word of God to restore our soul, to make us wise, to cause our hearts to rejoice, to enlighten our eyes, to see the Word of God as an enduring source of truth, and that altogether the Word of God is for us. I believe that when we seek the Word of God to do these things in us, then we will develop a renewed vision for the Word of God. So I'm asking the Holy Spirit to give us a heightened sense of the spiritual expectation of what the word of God does for us in using these statements. First of all, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The word of God is perfect. It gives us all things that pertains to life and godliness. While the, the Bible doesn't give us all knowledge, for example, the Bible doesn't teach us algebra, 
Maybe if it did, I would have made a better grade in high school on that subject. But all the knowledge that God's word gives us, it's true and it's perfect. Because God's word is perfect, it has the power to restore the soul. Basically, the psalmist is telling us is the word of God can bring new life to the soul. He's challenging us to understand that no matter what our sins may be, what our problems are, the Word of God can restore us back to God. Amen? Amen. The psalmist is telling us is that when our soul grows sorrowful, he can revive it through his Word. The psalmist is telling us that when the soul is sinful, he can sanctify it through his Word. He's telling us that when the soul is weak, He can strengthen it, strengthen our souls through His Word. Basically, this passage is teaching us is that God, by His Holy Spirit, does what His ministers and His pastors cannot do. God, by His Holy Spirit, imparts supernatural life And therefore restores the soul of the downcast through his perfect word. The word of God is a source of revival for us. It's a source of restoration for us. It's a source of renewal for us. And the children of God should expect the Word of God to restore their souls through God's Word, regardless of what situations they might be going through. Amen? Secondly, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. We see here that the Word of God is sure, it's reliable, it's certain. As the psalmist wrote, Forever, O Lord, your Word is settled in heaven. God's word doesn't change. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the the testimony of the Lord is sure, conveys this idea of certainty, contains this idea of firmness. The point is, is that the word of God is something that you can build your life on. As Jesus told us, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Brothers and sisters, what a blessing that in the world of so many uncertainties that God has given us something to build our lives on. Amen. The testimony of the Lord, it's sure, making wise the simple. Now, making wise the simple doesn't have anything to do with intelligence. The idea here is, is that as we humble ourselves to be in concert with the word of God, the Lord will give us wisdom to know what to do. The testimony of the Lord is sure it makes us wise when we're confused. Makes makes us wise for those of us that don't know exactly what to do. 
And we should expect God's word to be a source of unshakable wisdom in a shakable world. Amen. The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. God's word and his commands, they're right. God's word is morally right. God's word is practically right. God's word is universally right. Nothing bugs me more when a person that calls himself a Christian excuses certain sins or behavior because, you know, I'm Cuban. I'm African-American. I'm Haitian. I'm from New York. You see, the word of God transcends all culture. You can preach the word of God in any culture of the world. Why? Because they're right. Amen. It has nothing to do with your background. It has everything to do with the rightness of God's word. Now, remember that this word right here doesn't mean being correct as opposed to being wrong. It, it means being straight instead of being crooked. The, test, the precepts of the Lord, they're straight. It's a straight path of righteousness. No tricks, no foolery, no smoking mirrors, no manipulation. The precepts of the Lord are right. They're straight. And they, if we keep on the straight path of God's word, the psalmist tells us that we're going to find joy in our hearts. And remember that hearts means the core of who we are. So the product here is that if we stay on the straight path of God's word, not veering to the left or to the right, we will have a sense of overwhelming jubilance in the core of our being. We will be full of joy because the weight has been lifted from us. By God's word, we are no longer tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and by craftiness of deceitful scheming. No, we as God's people were on the straight path of God's word. And because we're on the straight path of God's word, this will bring jubilant joy to the core of our being. Amen. Amen. The commandments of the Lord are pure. Enlightening the eyes. Because God's word comes from God, who himself is pure and holy, then the word of God is pure. Have you ever noticed that oftentimes on the outside cover of your Bible, it says, Holy Bible? It's holy because God is holy. And God has spoken, breathed, inspired every word in that book. So the word of God is holy. A pure God cannot communicate to us in any other way but in holiness. You see, we never have to worry about the Word of God leading people into sin or into impurity. There's nothing in the Bible that is rightly understood that could or should be leading a person into sin. And because God's Word is so pure, it opens our eyes to see things from God's perspective. 
Often our own emotions, our own opinions, our own personalities can blind us from the pure and unadulterated truth of God's Word. So we have to allow the Lord to beam or illumine the light of His Word through our emotions, our opinions, and our personalities. The Word of God illumines the path and also enables us to walk on that path without stumbling. The Word of God purges out the darkness of sin and enables us to see clearly and without distortion. Truly, as our call to worship told us, God's Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Amen? The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The Word of God is clean. Therefore, it endures forever. It will never fade. It will never erode. It will never diminish because of impurity. As Jesus himself said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. It's clean. The word of God is clean. And therefore, it makes us clean. The fear of the Lord referenced here refers to a reverent trust in God. And a reverent trust in God is the purest of all pursuits. As Solomon tells us, the fear of the Lord or the reverent trust in God, well, it is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One. Well, that is understanding. But where does a person find or gain the understanding of the Holy One? Through His Word. As I mentioned earlier, our church fathers taught us that only the Word of God teaches us what to believe concerning God and what God requires of us. So we as God's people, well, we should join the psalmist who wrote, With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Get it? He has, this, he has this passionate pursuit of reverence towards God. With all my heart I sought you. So how, he's going, how is he going to continue that pursuit? By not wandering away from your commandments by the word of God. Brothers and sisters, the child of God should seek the word of God to avoid a fading and diminished zeal for God and His Word. We should pour out the Word of God on our lives because we have the tendency for our faith to fade and our hearts to diminish. So we need the Word of God that endures forever to come and speak to us. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. The, the psalmist summarizes this beautiful description of God's word in these first few verses of our text this morning by declaring that the word of God's are true and righteous are altogether. There's nothing false or unrighteous about his word. It's like he's gone through each one of these and he comes down to the bottom and says, listen, uh, I tell you, the judgments of the Lord are true. What else can I say? They're altogether righteous. 
every page, every word, altogether righteous. The psalmist now makes a transition by telling the great value of God's word. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, the drippings of the honeycomb. The word of God, God's written revelation to humanity, the psalmist is declaring is more valuable and more desirable than gold. But then he amplifies it by saying, yes, much than much fine gold. Brothers and sisters, seeking after material possessions is normal behavior. We all want a house to live in, a car to drive, clothes to wear, food to eat. And those things in and of themselves aren't sinful. As a matter of fact, God has given us those things to enjoy. But the child of God, for the child of God, seeking God's word, this is my primary passion. God's word is my primary possession. More valuable than gold itself, even much fine gold. If I've gained the whole world and not latched on to the word of God, I'm a poor man. And God's word is not only to be held in greater value than material wealth, but the psalmist goes on to say that it brings a greater delight than anything else can bring in your life. Even the sweetness of honey, even the sweetness of the drippings of the honeycomb, which is the sweetest of all. Honey from the honeycomb, well, it's sweetest and it's pleasant to eat. But the psalmist says, listen, you really want to have delight in this world? You want to enjoy extreme pleasures in this world? Then eat the word of God. The psalmist now gives two reasons why the word of God is greater than all material and earthly pleasures. He says in verse 11, moreover, by then your servant is warned and keeping them, they are of great reward. See how loving the father has been to us. He could have concealed himself. But he's a loving father, just like any loving parent. And you you speak to your children and you warn them how to be cautious. You direct them. In their life. Why? Because you're a good parent. That's what a good parent does. Well, our Heavenly Father is the greatest parent of all. And He has warned us through His Word, instructing us as His children. But the second reason why the Word of God is greater than all material pleasures of this world and worldly pleasures is because. It gives great rewards. The word of God rewards better than wealth. The word of God awards better than worldly pleasures can provide. I think at this point of the psalm, the psalmist is just having a 
spiritual meltdown. You understand about the transmissions. God is transmitting to the psalmist inspired words. And the psalmist is writing those down without losing one word along the way. But he's a person. He's not in some trance. He, He knows what he's writing. And he makes these six statements about God's word. And then he talks about the great value of God's word. And then he tells two reasons why the word of God should be valued above all things. And then I think he just has a spiritual collapse. These truths about God's word caused the psalmist to reflect upon his own life. And so he asked the questions. Who can discern his errors? I think the psalmist is confronted with himself. He's confronted with his own life. Who can discern his errors? This is an honest confession of his and our inability to judge our own hearts. We need God's word to search our hearts. Why? Because we have a personal bias. I I don't know about you, but I'm always right. That's one of the biggest problems in marriage, right? I'm always right, and Barbara thinks she's always right. Why? Because we have a personal bias. I have a personal bias. I'm always right. But here the psalmist acknowledges the fact that he needs the word of God because he has an inability, the inability to judge his own heart. Who can discern his own errors? No one. Why? Because we all have a personal bias. We're always going to give ourselves a break. The psalmist acknowledges that he's guilty of overlooking certain errors against God's word. And so he breaks out into a prayer. Acquit me of my hidden faults. Also keep me back your servants from presumptuous sin. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and shall be acquitted of great transgressions. He writes these six statements. He tells the great value of God's word. He tells you the reason why you should value God's word in such a way. He's struck with this fact that he hasn't been honest about his own life and his own sin. And God's word is just barreling down his back. So he prays. The psalmist confesses that the sins that he had committed and the sins that he had forgotten. He prays for those sins that he had not repented of. He prays for those sins that he had committed in his heart but had not acted upon. He prays for those sins that he had committed without even knowing And he prays for those sins that he had committed in private when nobody else knew. This prayer reminds me of the great passage of God's word that I mentioned earlier from the book of Hebrews. The word of God 
is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And I believe that the psalmist has come to this point, and the Holy Spirit is just all over him. And the Holy Spirit, he uses the scalpel of God's word to do spiritual surgery on his and our hearts, souls, and spirits. And as the writer of Hebrews continues, as a result, there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things lay bare to, in the eyes of him that we have to do. And it seems to me that's exactly what happened to the psalmist. As he was divinely inspired to write these truths about God's word, the Holy Spirit took out the scalpel of God's word and performed spiritual surgery on his heart. And this caused him to confess his errors, his hidden faults, and his presumptuous sins. But notice, the master physician, the skilled surgeon of the Holy Spirit, doesn't leave the patient laying wide open, but rather closes up the incision by administering forgiveness and grace. That's the reason why the psalmist declares, and then I will be blameless. And I shall be acquitted of great transgressions. It seems to me that the psalmist can now push away from the desk and walk away, having had this spiritual surgery on his heart, and experience a new sense of obedience and a correct attitude as he deals with the situations in his life. He concludes, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Brothers and sisters, notice that the psalmist doesn't end this psalm with an, with an appeal to avoid sin. He doesn't end this psalm saying, just don't sin and obey the Bible. No. It's not a rule keeping righteousness. It's a work, an ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. So the psalmist concludes with this humble surrender of his mouth and of his heart. Lord, as I walk away from this table, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Because, Lord, if you don't work in me, my mouth and my heart will not be acceptable to you. This is a work of God in him, really seeking the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in his life. Brothers and sisters, surrendering our mouths and our hearts to the Lord, well, it's a living and holy sacrifice to God. This is an appeal to God that his mouth and his heart would be acceptable and pleasing to God. He's basically saying, Lord, I've already admitted to you that I really haven't done everything according to your word. And as I walk away from this table, I don't want that the way to be anymore. I, I, I want to honor your word. So I need you, Lord, to work in me. Please, Lord. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord. For you, O oh Lord, are my rock and my redeemer. See, the psalmist knew that real godliness is not just a matter of what a person does. But it's also a matter 
of what he says and what he thinks in his heart. Brothers and sisters, as I conclude this morning, my hope was that the Lord would give us a renewed vision for the Word of God. A renewed expectation of what the Word of God can do in our lives. Because our ears can become deaf, our eyes can become blind, and our hearts become hard. But it's my prayer that we would seek the Holy Spirit to seek a restoration of our souls. That God would give us a godly wisdom, rejoicing hearts, enlightening our eyes, a sense of enduring truth as we look at all of God's word, which are righteous altogether. And as we read, as we hear, and as we meditate on God's word, that this is what we would expect God to do in us. My prayer is that we'd have a renewed vision for God's word that would lead us into an honest confession of our inability to judge our own hearts, as well as asking God to search our hearts through his word and by his Holy Spirit give us a new sense of obedience. Let's ask the Lord for a renewed vision for the word of God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today thanking you that you are a loving father, that you haven't hidden from us, concealed yourself from us. But Lord, you have given us your word that tells us who you are and how you want us to live as your kids. Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit to come upon us and give us a real, a renewed vision for the word of God. That we would truly, truly expect you to restore our souls. To give us wisdom to know what to do. To give us a jubilant joy. Open our eyes. Cast out the darkness. Give us an enduring sense of the truth of the word of God that is from everlasting to everlasting. Righteous altogether. Lord. Work in us as your people to have a humble surrender of our mouths and our hearts to you. We offer this as a living sacrifice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.